Hello, fans of the Partial Historians. My name is Dominic. Long ago, even the Romans knew that Egypt was truly old. The calm waters of the Nile had witnessed countless generations, and on the banks of that river, a skilled and creative people had fashioned the greatest kingdom on earth. If you like your history ancient, then the History of Egypt podcast is for you. A tale of pyramids, pharaohs, gods, and magic, told through the eyes of the ancients themselves. And now, back to the partial historians. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of The Partial Historians. I am Dr. Rad. And I'm Dr. G. Welcome. We are tracing the history of Rome from the founding of the city. Oh yeah, and like we're super into it now because <laughs> we're literally up to around about 459 BCE. Hey, that's exciting because it means we're starting another new decade. Oh yeah, yeah. nice. Rock and roll. <laughs> um, we're still very early on in yes. terms of the history of the Republic. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say that we don't have huge amounts of confidence in our written source material and what they tell us. Nevertheless, <laughs> it is what we have. Hey, we have a story and we're sticking with it. <laughs> uh, definitely the big focus for our source material and therefore us has been the conflict be- between the patricians and the plebeians as the, as the Romans try and figure out who they are and how their government should exactly work and who should have what rights. So it's definitely a, an ongoing theme and it will continue to be so for another hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> In the meantime, what you can rely upon is Rome going to war. Indeed. Yeah, so we're starting a new year, which means that we have new consuls, Dr. G. Very exciting. I have a previous consul serving again, Quintus Fabius Vibulanus. Oh, yes. Yeah. This is his third consulship. I find this extra funny because listeners of our podcast will know that the Fabians were supposedly all wiped out some time ago. This is the wonder kid (laughs) who apparently the only Fabian to survive the slaughter of the Fabians at Cremara. Hey, he's doing well and I feel it's because every night he looks in the mirror and he's like, you're the one that survived. You can't let them down. (laughs) Uh, You have a lot to give. You gotta keep going. (laughs) And then I have uh, Lucius Cornelius, wait for it, Magu... No, no. Maluginensis. Ugh. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yep. Uh, he's, his name is quite complicated. I've got even more to go on. Lucius Cornelius Maluginensis Eurytinus. Whoa. Eurytinus. I don't think he's been consul before. I feel like I'd remember this I'm name. hoping he's never consul again. Me too. <laughs> You'll now, be not at all surprised to hear that they're both yeah. patricians. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, standard. Uh, now, this is actually kind of a big year, uh, not just because of the warfare, but because a census is taken this year in my account. Oh, yeah, hello. I know. Yeah, no record yeah. of the census in Dionysius of Falconassus. Hey, Livy, Livy's very detail-focused on this kind of stuff. Um, so, just a very quick reminder, census would basically allow them to see, you know, who the citizens are, how many they are, how, you know, wealth and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, how many horses they own. Yeah. All right, do we know yeah. what... It, does Livy Don't give us results, any... just Livy just tells me that it happens. No, I just, Livy! That's why I'm throwing out generalities. <laughs> I was hoping for like an estimate on the population of the city or something. Nope. Oh, sad <laughs> days. I do also have, though, a problem with some of the religious goings-on, which oh, I thought would interest you. I am very li- interested. I'm so, listening. 
the previous year, 460, was a big year because there were lots of things happening. And one of the things that happened is a seemingly some sort of invasion slash revolt or something uh, in which the capital was seized and the Romans had to besiege their own fortress. And in the process of doing that, one of their consuls died. We know this. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. And, but, is it, but is it religiously bad? Well, apparently so. <laughs> Livy oh, no. says that there were some misgivings about performing the usual lustral sacrifices uh. because the capital had been seized and a consul killed in that location. Okay, okay. Yeah. So maybe the ground is a little bit tainted uh, by Perhaps. the blood of... of uh, citizens yeah, uh, and consular blood. Yeah, I guess that's blood. what it is. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's that's quite unfortunate. Um, I'm assuming they performed the lustral sacrifices for Livy... this new year anyway, because it'd be yeah. hard not to. Livy doesn't tell me that they didn't take place. He just says that they felt a little squeamish about doing so. <laughs> so uh, I just thought I I'd note that, you know, it's like the incidental detail before we get down to the really serious mm. business. Yeah. In this very spot where your consul was cut down, we are now going to sacrifice... Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that doesn't seem right. Oh my god, that is so gross. I am still traumatized from last year. I don't think I can see this right now. <laughs> Anywho, uh, so on to the more important business, perhaps. For the Romans, at least. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, in my account, Dr. G, the tribunes are just as troublesome as ever. They're still trying to rile the plebeians up and say that all is not well in their world and they shouldn't be happy and they should be pushing for more and they should be pushing for better. So not a great start to um, the new consulship. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, that's really not uh, Dionysius's focus at all. I mean, he does mention that they get voted in again. Well, look, um, this is, I should probably say, that's about all Livy says. <laughs> that the tribunes were being difficult, which, to be honest, I kind of feel like a standard by now. So, you know, it's another one of those incidental details. Keeping up the huge. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, there seems to be that the important thing is that a, a stack of aquians, about yes. 6,000 of them, mm. um, set out by night um, from their home and enter the city of Tusculum. Ah, we see. Yeah, you're you're a bit you're a bit ahead of me. I'd say things are going in a slightly different order for us. The the warfare aspect of this year really kicks off for me when some of the Romans' allies, the Latins and the Hernicians, come and tell the Romans, "Hey, you know those people that you're constantly fighting with, and even though we get these accounts saying that you've wiped them out and like you've wiped them from the face of the earth and like they'll never recover, they keep bouncing back somehow." The Vols- yeah, the Volscians and the Aquians. <laughs> They're up to something. In fact, trouble is already afoot. And this is how the Romans find out in my particular account. And so they have to deal with this in a couple of ways. And that's the usual dividing and conquer method of the consuls. So Fabius is sent off to the colony at Antium. Now, Antium had once been controlled by the Volscians, but the Romans have had control of it. Actually, I feel like for a while now. But it's always been a little dicey because it's right... It's it's a pretty important place in Volskian territory and it's always been, you know, a bit touch and go in, in our accounts anyway. There's been talk about things going on there in the past. So he sent off to deal with that and the other consul has to stay in Rome just in case either of the enemies decide to attack. Ooh. All right. So mm. we have some real differences in our narratives. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, like, Dionysius prefaces all of this with the, the Aquians' surprise attack on Tusculum. And they do this. Tusculum mm. is 
described as being not less than a hundred stades distant from Rome. Um, in modern terms, it's about a half hour drive. Right. Um, okay. So if you can visualize that. Yeah. yeah. Um, just to the southeast of Rome is a set of nice little hills with some like volcanic lakes and things like that. Lovely area. Tusculum is one of the towns in that region. Yeah. Um, sort of sitting at the foot of a hill. And if you're thinking, listeners, that this sounds familiar, you are correct. I think we've been here before. Yeah, because <laughs> it's the people from this area that came to Rome's aid when things were going south with that whole invasion thing in 460. Yes. Yeah. So when Hedonius took the capital, it was the citizens of Tusculum that yeah. got together and sent a support force to help Rome out. Without even being asked. Yeah. And that is a true friend. Can we just have a collective ah? <laughs> so we've got this sort of like beautiful sense that there's a relationship positive uh, between Rome and Tusculum. And now Tusculum finds itself on the brutish end of an Aquian incursion mm. because the Aquians are annoyed, very much so, uh, that the Tusculans have this arrangement with Rome. And they, they kind of pettily go after them because of it. So they take some some of the women and the children as slaves. Oh, who going to say? I thought you meant fighting. I was like, what? No, <laughs> no. Um, take them as slaves and plunder the area. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't kill many of the men, okay. um, it would seem, um, for some reason. And maybe they could. <laughs> maybe the Tusculans are too tough. I don't know. <laughs> um, and it's about this time that Rome, when Rome learns about this, that they also hear the news about Antium. Ah. Uh, and Antium has sort of been uh, a sort of a bugbear for Rome for a while. Yeah. They, they went on a really deliberate raid to Antium on a few different occasions and then basically turned it into their own colony. Totally, yeah. Um, that hasn't really worked out and it's continuing to not work out. They're spending a lot of resources maintaining this place. They are. Yeah. Antium is on the coast, so maybe it's got some strategic interest for them. Mm. But uh, Antium is now in open revolt. And being joined by the Volsci, who have a good share in that region because it's very close to Volsci territory, mm. they Antium is theirs as far as they're concerned. Yeah. And so we've got these two points of of problem as far as Rome is concerned: one to the southeast and one to the southwest. Yeah. Oh my God, they're in almost totally different directions. Oh no. <laughs> Uh, and so they're like, okay, we're going to have to raise the levy, put some armies together, and send them out. Yeah. So uh, Fabius gets sent to the Tusculans, which might be, I think, might be a different detail from what you have, what Livy gives us. It is and it isn't. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah, I can't. Don't tell me what. That up for you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So Fabius, apparently, according to Dionysius, yeah. account gets sent to deal with. Uh, the Tusculan situation. Yeah. While Cornelius uh, gets the go-ahead to go against the Volscians in Antium. Okay. And deal yeah. with that revolt. So they kind of, they split off in different directions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the setup. Okay. I, I, I disagree with you entirely. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> All right. Well, I feel like we're, uh, you've described your setup. I've described my setup. Totally, so I'm yeah. interested in what how things next? start okay. to unfold. Well, I do have an interesting detail. Um, I've got Fabius all ready to go out against Antium, right? Now, the interesting detail that Livy notes is that with the Romans deciding to go off and fight, their allies are bound, obviously, to service them with people, which, of course, you know, we know that by now. 
Um, the thing that I find interesting is that the Henetians and the Latins, Livy specifically says that because of the balance of like people provided, they make up two thirds of the army. And the Romans themselves are only one third of the army. Oh. Yeah, which I find kind of interesting. Um, I guess because I'm probably being a little bit premature in that I know that eventually it's going to be kind of a problem <laughs> that the Romans have a lot of outsiders fighting for them and not a lot of like their own citizens. This does seem early days. It's though, very early days for that, but I'm just like, interesting detail, Livy. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> nice foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. So Fabius goes off to deal with the issue at Antium, while Cornelius stays behind to make sure that all's well on the home front because sneaky, sneaky Volscians and Aquians might decide to attack there or something like that, as is their want. Now, when the Romans arrive, the Volscians aren't really ready for them, <laughs> okay? so they, Oh no, we've been surprised. Yeah, they had been counting on the fact that they would have an Aquian army with them as well. So they're just kind of trying to hold the line, basically. Okay. Fabius, of course, is like, ha, nice try, guys. So he organizes his three sections of his army very strategically. So he's got his Phoenicians, his Latins, and his Romans. Okay, and he gets them all lined up just the way he wants them, and he ends up surrounding the Volscian camp and then attacking them from basically every direction. The Volskians, of course, are helpless at this Roman onslaught because the Romans are just so freaking awesome. It's okay. hard to resist the power of Rome and their allies. Uh. Yeah, yeah, precisely, yeah. So the Romans absolutely smash the Volskian army. They destroy their camp. They destroy them while they're running away. They capture lots of booty, of course, because they ran away without their arms, because they're just trying to save their own lives, of course. I hate it when I run away without my arms. <laughs> like you have my legs. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they basically end up taking shelter in the forest. If they hadn't had the forest, Livy assures me that they would have been completely wiped from the face of the earth. Something Livy tells me a lot. <laughs> anyway. Well, that would certainly solve Rome's problems because these guys just keep coming back. Yeah. It's during this whole situation that the, that the Aquians decide that they're going to send their very best crack troops in a surprise night attack against Tusculum. Okay. And so they capture the Tusculum citadel whilst this seems to all be going on, essentially. The Romans, when they hear about this, are devastated because they know full well that the Tusculans have really just saved them from disaster. So they're extra annoyed, not just because the Aquians, but because of the Tusculans. So Fabius hears about what's going on and being a fabulous Fabian. Oh, yeah. The he, only kind. Exactly. The only one left to be fabulous. Yeah. He <laughs> leaves behind, you know, basically what he needs to maintain what he's achieved at Antium and he rushes off. To help the Tusculans. Oh wow, he does get to be the hero of the day in this narrative, exactly. doesn't he? So he's here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> wow. Now, when he arrives, it becomes slightly less exciting because, you know, they're occupying a citadel. So it's a little bit tricky to actually attack them in any sort of meaningful way. And what ends up happening is quite a lengthy siege where the Romans don't really triumph because of spectacular military successes, but really because they starve them out. And hey, you know what? That's ancient warfare. That happens. Um, so eventually they win because the people they're opposing just can't hold out any longer, essentially. 
I feel like I should pause there and see what's happening in your account. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, look, I mean, it's different. It's just a little bit different. Well, because first of all, Dionysius has already told us from the outset that the first thing that happens is the Aquians make a move on Tusculum. Yeah. And Rome finds out about it. So the order is completely out of whack already. Absolutely, yeah. As far as he's concerned. But then it's... Cornelius that gets sent to Antium. Mm. And so I'll give you the Antium narrative first, even though Dionysius gives it to us later. Yeah. Um, because that seems like the nice sort of parallel for now. Yeah. Um, so Cornelius goes against um, the Volscians in Antium, takes a bunch of Romans with him. No mention of taking any allied forces, okay. I might add. What can I say, Dr. G? It was all about the details. <laughs> <laughs> So he finds an army outside of Antium. Yeah. Um, kills a lot of them, and the rest run away. Um, that matches with what yeah. I've got, yeah. They go and camp back near the city, and that's fine. So then he starts laying waste to the land, very traditional Roman warfare stuff. Yeah. Um, surrounds the city, and then basically turns um, the city into uh, an encamped structure. So mm. he erects a ditch with palisades around the city of okay. Antium. Yeah. Which makes me think that Antium can't be that big. Um, <laughs> realistically. <laughs> Guys, what are you doing? I, I just put a wall around your whole city. Okay. Um, so then this forces the enemy to come out because they definitely don't have enough supplies realistically to just stay inside the city. They weren't expecting that to be their camp. Right. They were just yeah. going there to like sort of recoup and then move. Yeah. yeah so this yeah. is a problem. Um, but it also means that the fighting is messy. So there is some siege warfare style stuff involved. Mm. Dionysius makes um, mention of the use of scaling ladders okay. and of battering rams. Ooh. Yeah. And t they take the town. Right. So yeah. presumably they retake Antium. Well, yeah, I was going to say they kind of retake Yeah, Antium. they retake Antium. <laughs> yeah. But this is pretty terrible. So um, we've got booty taken. Uh, we've got mentions of spoils that are sold off by the Quaestors. Mm -hmm. We haven't heard a lot about Quaestors no. up until now. They are generally involved in money matters. Though, yeah, so, but they yeah. are starting to emerge um, a little mm. bit more clearly into the narrative. They seem to exist, yeah. apparently. Um, but then they start selecting colonists from the original inhabitants of Antium. Okay. And people who had been quite prominent in the revolt of Antium. Ooh. So, yeah, this, this is about to get really ugly. Okay. So they take some of the local people and some of the colonists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so people who were originally Roman. Originally Roman yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Or allies of Rome and thus sent out. yeah. These are publicly scourged oh and beheaded. Oh, God. So this is where the whole Fasces thing <laughs> comes in. It does. Beating them with rods and then chopping off their heads. Yeah. So yeah. the scourging is going to be really unpleasant. Yeah. Basically, bundles of rods or of, of pieces of wood mm. tied together um, to form essentially like a club. Um, people getting beaten with those. And everybody... Everybody in this watches. Town would be made to watch. Everybody's this. made, made yeah, to the whole, watch. The whole point is this could be you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is public violence of yeah. a very particular kind. It's yeah. designed to quell rebellion. Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, likewise. in the Roman, from the Roman point of view, obviously they've broken. I mean, they're only they're not doing this for fun. They're not like 
well, we've just taken this town and this is how we celebrate our victory or instate control. No, no. This is how we reinstate control after you betrayed us. Yes. Uh, and we need to do this because otherwise... Our, our whole system doesn't work. Yeah, it, it fails. Yeah, we yeah. can't afford to have... Our power has been questioned. Mm. And yeah, we can't afford to have this happen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they've gone to the trouble of taking Antium, colonising it, yeah. putting it up as their own. Yeah. And to find out that a rebellion has taken place means that the citizens are not self-managing and the colonists have not been able to quell the rebellion internally. Yeah. And from a Roman perspective, this makes them just as oh, guilty. Well, I... To be fair, though, I do think back to when the Romans first conquered Antium, and I seem to recall that not many people actually wanted to go and live in Antium. So. They certainly did not. No. Um, and I don't know if they'd want to live there now either. No, no. Um, things are not looking good. Yeah, no, that's definitely not mentioned in my account. Even yeah. though there's clearly, like, a lot of bloodshed happening, uh, it's, it's not... There's not mention of this specific distinction between the people who live in the town and the people that are colonized like there's n- there's none of this you mm. know yeah it it seems to me more like the volscians are trying to retake antium and the romans sort of get there first like that's what it seems more like in my account yeah where yeah, yeah so that sort of aspect of it's not at all clear yeah yeah um but then we have as a competing narrative to this um fabius uh heading out to tusculum yeah um in order to restore the city mm. and so he heads out, um, heads out against the enemy. It's sort of late afternoonish, yeah. Um, and by this stage, the forces of the Volskii and the Aquians, because um, apparently they're now in it together when it comes of to Tusculum. They, they always seem to be in it together. <laughs> are hanging out near the town of Algaidum. Ah, uh, okay. I see where our accounts are matching up now. And yeah, yeah and I was like, well, where's Algaidum? Yeah, uh, and it turns out that it's. If you're having a look at the map uh, of Rome and Tusculum, Algaidum is just to the southeast again of Tusculum, very close. Right, yeah. Um, almost like within an easy cart ride. Um, <laughs> if only the Romans had these. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> no, they had carts, nobody knows. Um, and so that happens, and so they're, they're sort of all in a kind of an awkward area, essentially. Mm. Um they set up a camp, um, so this is um, the Volskii and the Aquians, and they had not set up any defensive perimeter on their camp. Ooh. Yeah. Mistake! <laughs> this is a huge problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also understandable, because they're in their own territory. Yeah. Tusculum is sort of right on the borderline of, of Volskian territory and Aquian understanding. So... For Tusculum to have aided Rome in the first place was always going to put them as a bit of an outsider with their other neighbours. I do get that, but at the same time, if you know you're at war with someone... I if still... you've come along and stolen the plunder from somebody's city and you're heading home, it might be good to build a defensive camp. I just feel like it's a best precaution, you know. <laughs> well, as it turns out, it was not great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they didn't put up much of a, a defensive perimeter. Um, 
Dionysus explains this as they're in their own country, and not only that, they're contemptuous of their foe. Of course they are, they always are. Uh, well, how many times do you guys fight each other? They never seem to have much esteem for each other. Well, the Romans just have come back from having the Capitol taken from them, so... That's true. You know, yeah. they're not, like, yeah. like rumour would have gotten around that they're not in the best position militarily right yeah, now. Yeah, that's true, yeah. So, Fabius decides to attack. Seems like the right plan. Um, he leads the charge. Um, so this is a classic early consular republic move. Yeah. Just to be at the head of the army. He'd be like, follow me, boys. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the consuls are so awesome. <laughs> yeah. He takes the first charge. Um, he's on a horse, presumably followed by his infantry. Great. <laughs> um, everybody gets uh, quite excited. Lots of enemies get slain. It's bad. A lot of them are still asleep when the attack begins. So that's not good either. There's no defense. They're kind of asleep. Mm. And most of them start to run away. Mm, well, yeah. Fair enough. Standard you know, yeah. Well, <laughs> if you woke up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden you're, you were getting attacked, I'd say that, you know, it's a pretty standard good maneuver. Good option. Like, yeah, just run for it. It's kind of dark. It's kind of gross. So the camp is taken really easily. Mm. And Fabius allows everybody to take the booty and stuff and to take prisoners but not of the Tusculans who had been taken prisoner themselves. I was going to say, why would you take the Tusculans? They were trying to help them. Yeah, so yeah. the Aquians had taken a whole bunch of right. women and children from Tusculum. Gotcha, yeah. Um, and Fabius is like, no, no, you can't take them as your oh, own. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah, can't yeah. take them as your own slaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're actually trying to restore those people back <laughs> to their town because we like those guys. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. Um, and then... Uh, he leads them towards another Volscian city mm-hmm. um, called Etra. Oh, we've, we've talked about this before. It has come up before. Yeah. We don't know where it is. No, but it's got to be really always, close by. It always looks like etc. to me. It does. Yeah. And when you type it into Google, it's like, did you mean etc.? Yeah. Like, I, I did not, as it <laughs> happens. Um, and this is apparently the most prominent Volscian city at this time mm. we don't know where it is right um but it has to be close they also lay waste to that land mm. and the volskians were not expecting this level of uh, advancement yeah, so they yeah. weren't ready for this and they kind of just let their fields get burnt Ugh, and volskians. so jesus christ <laughs> yeah so fabius fabulous fabius permits his soldiers to plunder and burn and they gain more treasure yeah. and then they head home Wow, okay, that, is, that definitely matches up with some of the details of my account. So, when I left you... <laughs> my last, last time we talked to Livy. Last time we talked to Livy. Um, Fabius had just rushed off to help the Tusculans because he just heard the horrible news. Now, I didn't point out, although I should, because I do want to give him his share of the glory, that Fabius was in such a hurry that he tells the soldiers to take basically as little as, as possible, you know, so just take the essentials. So grab some bread, grab your armor and your weapons, and let's head out. Now, they're able to do this because Cornelius organizes for supplies to be sent to them from Rome. So it's a big logistical operation here. Uh, And that's when the siege happens, and they fight for some months, but mostly it's just sort of a siege. Um, And eventually they manage to get the Aquinas out by starving them out. Okay, so... Uh, interestingly, once this has happened, once they've you know, admitted defeat, um, the Tusculans strip the Aquians of their arms, 
Uh, again, painful, but necessary. Oh, uh, my arms! <laughs> exactly. Strip them, strip them right down. You know, they're not wearing any armor or anything like that. And make them pass under the yoke. So, like you were talking about earlier, you know, reinstating that idea of we're in charge here, guys. Like, Ah, uh, yeah. So yeah. this idea of um, passing under the yoke, um, it's a really important concept because... Its meaning seems to change over time. Mm. Um, so in this early period, because I was doing some reading about this, because I was like, oh, this is a really interesting concept. Because like, if you think about a yoke, you're kind of thinking of like the agricultural equipment that yeah. you put around an oxen. Yeah. But that's not actually what we're referring to when we talk about somebody passing under the yoke. What we're talking about is if it were, it's a warfare situation, mm. we're talking about a an organization of spears, basically spears, uh, crossing each other. Mm. So sort of forming almost like a tunnel. Yeah, like um, a cool military archway. <laughs> kind of, yeah. And it's like everybody gets together at the wedding, puts their hands up to create an archway, except it's made of spears. Yeah. And instead of you celebrating anything as you pass underneath it, it has this quasi-ritual function mm. of shifting you from being in the mode if you like, of being at war with Rome mm. and ag- antagonistic towards Rome and ritually places you in the position of being submissive to Rome. Well, see, this is the interesting thing about the way that this is explained in Livy's account and why it stood out to me. It's the Tusculans who are doing this. Okay, like, yes, the Romans rushed to their aid and obviously were a, a part of their success over the people that were attacking them. But it doesn't seem to me that the Romans are the ones actually doing this. The Tusculans are doing it. Because what Livy tells me then is that once the Aquians have undergone this ritual, they're on their way, you know, rushing home. And this is where Fabius catches up with them. And he catches up with them at Mount Algaidus, which you mentioned. Oh. Yeah, exactly, being a location. And he specifically says that he kills every single one. So they're made to, exactly, they're made to go through this process with the Tusculans and then they're trying to get the hell out of there of after being. Oh, okay. So yeah. so the Aquians are forced by the Tusculans yes. to pass under the yoke. Yep. And then before they can, like, nip back home and just pretend like this shame <laughs> never, happened. never happened, yeah, yeah, exactly. Fabius turns up and is like, slaughter those people. Pretty much. Wow. Yeah, which I think is kind of interesting. So, I mean, we spoke before, when we were talking about the Tusculans, when they first popped up, in well, when we talked about them recently in 460, um, we didn't really talk much about, but I think we did signal that it was interesting that the Tusculans were being controlled by a dictator, because... Once again, we've got the Romans indicating or assuming that everyone nearby them has a similar ruling system <laughs> to them. <laughs> the Romans being self-involved and projecting their own. <laughs> Who would have thought? Who knew? Yeah. But then again, obviously, they are in a very close area to each other, so there probably are a lot of cultural similarities. You know. Between, oh, look, I yeah. mean, there has to be. Even yeah. when we look at like the naming conventions in Rome, so many of the names originate from the surrounding areas. Yeah, yeah, there exactly. are a lot of Etruscan names that make it into the Roman patriciate, for instance. Yeah, exactly. Um, things like that. To pretend that these are... Whole like like bounded communities that don't have any connection with each other would be foolish. Uh, there's a lot of different language groups going on. Yes, but there is also a lot of shared cultural yeah. understandings. Yeah. Anywho, so Fabius is obviously having a great year this year because you know it's just victory after victory. Like he can't get. That's enough. why we call him fabulous. Yeah. So he goes to a place called Columen, and he goes. He basically sets up a military camp. Now, this is where Cornelius joins him. 
Okay, oh. so he's been, you know, he's been watching and waiting, waiting and watching. <laughs> now is his moment. So together, they target both the lands of the Volskians and the lands of the Aquians and just go to town. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, Livy gives me almost no detail. I was going to say, <laughs> this is a detail which is completely yeah. missing no, in Dionysius' he, he account. gives me almost nothing because it seems to just be a like laser precision attack from the two consuls. So Did I, they just pick a place that was equidistant between the two territories and then just raid out from they, the centre? I just see this as being very Starsky and Hutch. They're just like, the team is back together and we're on a roll. Woohoo! Yeah, so Rome is just like devastating... <laughs> Yeah, and then Livy throws in this final detail, which I don't know what to do, <laughs> where he says a good many writers saying that there was also a revolt uh, amongst the Antiates. I, I don't know who these people are. Um, oh, I think they're the people of Antium, are oh, they not? Makes, oh, well, that's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, he basically he then says, "I found this account saying that these people revolted in this same year." Well, duh, Livy. Like we've just been dealing with a the campaign there, if that's the case. And that Cornelius is the one that was sent against them and captured that particular town. However, I don't feel safe saying that this is for sure because it's not attested in the older historians that I can find. Oh, that's yeah. nice. Okay, he's he's doing it's some historiography. historiography. Yeah, 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 tick to Livy. So I feel like that has to be the place where oh. I personally wrap up. But do oh, you have no. more? I do have yeah. slightly more. Okay. Yeah, Dionysius does also do some historiography in uh, this section. I mean, he talks about some competing narratives um, where we talk about some of the um, forces uh, that are coming out of the citadel, and this is Tusculum, yeah. are coming out of their own accord. And so, like, when, that... when Fabius gets to Tusculum, yeah. um, some accounts say that the Aquans come out voluntarily, so bring the fight out. And other accounts... Or come out fighting. Yeah, right, yeah. Okay, other right. accounts say yeah. that the Aquians stay in and think about what to do next, um, um, leading to the possibility of a siege. Okay, but he's yeah. like, I don't know which account. There's some competing narratives here. Okay, so, so we do get that. Clearly there is a bit of confusion about what's actually happening yeah, this year. There yeah. is a lot of confusion. Yeah. Um, but to round things off, because yeah. it sounds like from Livy's account that Cornelius doesn't get heaps of airtime to be like a great sort of military consul. Not really, no. Um, and Fabius is doing all of like the star work. He's fabulous. Rushing here, yeah. rushing there. Yeah. But according to Dionysus' account, the Senate decrees that both these consuls should celebrate a triumph. Mm. And I feel like this is something that... Uh, if it could be verified with other sources, and I, I've yet to look into this aspect, mm. but if that could be independently verified, I feel like that might give Dionysius's narrative a little bit more strength. Well, but then Livy does acknowledge Livy does acknowledge that there is obviously this other version where Cornelius takes a bit more of an active role. Um, it's just that I mean, this is where this is where ancient writers are freaking frustrating people because. Whilst it's great that Livy is acknowledging that there are different versions of things and that, you know, he's unsure about wh like who to believe, he just says there are lots of writers that don't say this, and I trust this because, you know, this is in the older historians. Who are these people you're talking about, Livy? <laughs> Name <laughs> names. Yeah. Are you reading Fabius Pictor? We really want to know. Yeah, this is the problem. <laughs> we, we can't then look at Livy's account and try and 
I mean, we can, but it's very difficult to figure out whether we actually trust Livy in his assessment of this situation and that the version that he chose to go with is the way things actually happened and Fabius really was that fabulous. <laughs> or whether Livy's made a bad call and, you know, from what we know of the sources he's using, he actually should have trusted the one where Cornelius has more of a role. You know, it's it's so frustrating. and But this is, you know, this is standard Roman historiography, I'm afraid. Yeah, it's tough out there. Yeah. All right. So, like, the really big thing that happens right towards the end of this year. Sure. There's just one more thing, according okay. to Dionysius, is, wait for it, the Aquians sue for peace with Rome. Ooh, okay, that's definitely not in any of it. <laughs> and not only that, they conclude a treaty for the termination of the war. Oh, my God. They've yeah. made a treaty so many times. <laughs> <laughs> and so they agree that the Aquians should retain their cities and land right. that they possess at the time of the treaty mm. and that they become subject to the Romans without paying any tribute. Okay. But they have to send their assistance in times of war. Ooh. Yeah, and send certain amounts of troops. Yeah. Like the rest of the allies. Interesting. Very interesting. Because usually the Aquians ally with the Volscians uh-huh. against the Romans. <laughs> yes. But apparently now, after a tough year on the on the battlefronts, yeah. the Aquians have decided to come to an I agreement with Rome. I think it's fairly Rome. clear the Aquians have had the worst time of it this year out of the, <laughs> the two uh, enemies of Rome. Yes, so, it's safe yeah. to say that 459 has not been a great year for the Aquians. No. Now, I do have a little bit more detail about 459, but I feel like um, I feel like I won't go into it yet because what you've just said comes in at a different point in my year. Ooh. And in order to go around to that part of the narrative, I have to take you through some home front stuff. So I feel Ooh. like I should save that for next episode. So, all right, well, I'm on tender hooks already. <laughs> all right, so that means, Dr. G, that it is time... For the partial pick. Oh my goodness. All right, so hit oh. me with it. What's our first category where we can potentially grant Rome up to 10 golden eagles? Oh, well, I would love to give Rome some eagles for military clout. Well, I mean, for God's sake, they are just, <laughs> they are running rampant at the moment. <laughs> they're going here, they're going there. Everybody falls aside. They really have no serious opposition this year. They have asserted their dominance. Yes. yes. And if both consuls have celebrated a triumph, it really doesn't get better than that. No, the only catch would be the whole Antium thing being <laughs> a potential revolt. Yeah, that's awkward. <laughs> uh, so I feel like we can't give them like 10 out of 10 or anything. But maybe but an 8 out of 10. I think an 8, yeah. All right, so an 8 for military clout. Woohoo! Which brings us to... Diplomacy. Okay, well, see... In your account, there is that negotiation with the Aquians, and that will come up in my account, just hasn't yet. Yeah, look, I mean, maybe it's a little... I don't know. I guess we'll see. I'm willing to give them about a four. I mean, they've concluded a treaty. Yeah, exactly. And there's not much else. There's no, like, internal... We don't get any hardly internal narrative for what's going on with Rome. So it's like, we're not sure about the situation with the plebeian and the patricians. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I know that things aren't going too well with the tribunes, <laughs> but I won't go into that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Expansion. Well, nah, I don't think so. No, I mean, they're, they're reconquering Antium, <laughs> and they're putting the Volskians and the Aquians in their place, but they don't really get any new territory, so I don't no. think they can get any points for that. That's a zero. Yeah. 
Weirtus. Definitely. So much weirtus. Yeah. We've got a fabulous Fabius back in the picture. <laughs> uh, and we've got Cornelius also doing some good stuff. And we've got the Romans adorably coming to the rescue of the Tusculans. Oh, cute. <laughs> uh, and also, I mean, you know, the allies as well. We are so nice to our friends. And terrible to our enemies. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I feel like it's going to be, what, like a six or a seven? Oh, yeah, look, I mean, in terms of, like, individual acts with Weirtus, Fabius leading the charge. True, true, um, true. Yeah, I think that's up there. Okay, so seven? Seven. Okay, cool. Final category. The citizen score. What would it be like to be an average Roman in this year? Well, as you pointed out, most of what we've talked about so far this year, and there will be more, but not yet, has been about warfare. Now, for the average citizen, this means that they're once again back in the field, potentially. Uh, however, at least Rome itself does not seem to be under threat. Oh, yeah. It could be worse. Yeah. yeah. It could be worse. Yeah. Maybe a four. Okay. All right. That means that we have seen some improvement, as we tend to, when Rome <laughs> is at war. That's a total of 23 out of 50 golden oh, eagles. Oh, that's almost a, a pass. Almost. Well, look, <laughs> Rome does tend to do pretty well when they're at war and, I mean, you know, what are we supposed to say when there's just been a war of, like, they've triumphed over everyone. <laughs> it's done well. Yeah. Every capacity, pretty much. This so. is a real comeback on their disastrous year of having the Capitals taken from them, so. This is true. Yeah. Look, yeah. they would do some, some good eagles. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, there is a little bit more in my account to go with 459 as we return to the home front. The suspense in the narrative. Yeah, exactly. So we will see you once again next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Partial Historians. We send our thanks to our new patrons, Sean, Bonner, Roman, Sharon, and Joel. Your support helps us to continue to produce incisive, rambunctious historical analysis. If you enjoy our work, you can follow our podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also support our work through Patreon. Yours in ancient Rome, Dr. G.